0: Hello podcast listeners and welcome to the 9th October 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. You may have noticed that we didn't have a podcast on the 2nd of October. I'll be honest with you podcast listeners, it's been hard to keep up. I'm sure you understand. Politics are part of our lives and they're part of our stories. We explain when people come to our workshops that storytelling isn't about changing minds. It's about sharing our humanity. It's about going beyond political views and showing the common human condition we can all relate to. Behind every story is a real person. And that's the story we want to hear. There are other places for the rest. Our space is for sharing stories that have happened to the person who is telling. Sometimes we get things wrong. Maybe the story isn't clear or as polished as we'd like, but mostly we do okay. As we walk through the streets of Hong Kong this week, we'll be listening to a story from another country and another time. And after all that talk, it's about politics and sea creatures and maybe just a touch of silliness. After Daniel's story, we'll hear from Edward with the story of how he found peace in chaos. Before we get to today's stories, though, we'd like to thank our loyal Hong Kong audience. You are generous enough to support us and even join us, and we appreciate you. Thanks go out, too, to our listeners around the world. This week, we'd like to thank everyone who supports our storytelling efforts at all of the 57 countries who've listened to our podcast. We feel well-travelled. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. October is a busy month for us storytellers in Hong Kong stories. We have our regular show on Wednesday the 23rd, which will have the theme Unearthed and be hosted by Mel. We also have the Student Story Slam on Friday the 25th of October, where students 11 to 18 are invited to write and perform their stories on stage. We've started to hear some of these stories, and we cannot wait to hear them live. If you'd like to find out more about either of these events or any of the other cool stuff we do, go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with a story from the April show with the theme, Transition, here is Daniel
1: the director, Richard Linklater, defined the term slacker in his film, Slacker. In the film, odd and aimless young people wandered the streets of Austin, Texas, having weird and wonderful conversations about life, the universe and everything. If, if they stopped being interesting, even for a moment, the camera would pick up somebody else in the background and follow them on to a new adventure. We felt like that. We were the same age, we had the same sorts of conversations. And if you squinted and wore a jacket, maybe New Zealand was a bit like Texas? <laughs> were we odd? You can judge from the rest of the story. But aimless? I don't think so. Me and my mate Greg knew exactly what we were doing when we drove up to Alistair's house with a trailer. We went around the back, opened up the shed, which Alistair never locked, because New Zealand. And we weren't at all surprised by what we found inside, a 10-foot-long giant squid. We weren't surprised because we'd built it out of paper mache and rattan. We didn't need to exchange a word. We loaded the squid onto the trailer, and we drove to Pakaranga. See, not aimless at all. We knew exactly what we were doing maybe it bears a little bit of explanation for you guys. The reason that we were taking a 10 foot long paper mache squid to a public shopping mall was because I was running for parliament, obviously. (laughs) I was a member of the McGillicuddy Serious Party, which is a venerable and storied institution dedicated to returning the Scottish monarchy to the throne of New Zealand. Mostly, we did this by wearing kilts and hitting each other with rolled-up newspaper swords. (laughs) But when elections came around, we got serious. McGillicuddy serious. Up until this point, I had been mostly a kind of background character bit part. I'd never actually stood for the election, but like so many brave Highlanders before me, I answered the call to fight for our values, to bring on the great leap backwards, to defend the honor of Bonnie Prince Jeffy the Reluctant. They could take our electoral deposits, but they could not make us wear underpants. (laughs) The man who took my electoral deposit, the returning officer, was actually quite supportive. In fact, he was a little bit disappointed that we weren't running a cat. Uh, he'd looked it up. Uh, very excited that he was. If it was born in New Zealand, over eighteen, and conscious, it was a legitimate. Can- uh, uh, it could be a legitimate candidate. This was the mad system that we were ready, trying to overthrow. However, didn't have a cat. I did have a nickname, and another rule that he'd looked up was because I could prove by virtue of publishing in the uh, student newspaper for over a year, that I'd been using this alias consistently, I was able to have it put on the ballot. I was the first person to do this. And that is how the candidate for McGillicuddy Sirius uh, for Packeranga became Sasquatch, right there on the ballot. <laughs> they called me Sasquatch because I was large, hairy, and mostly fictional. I was young then. I've changed a lot. Uh, <laughs> My opponent in Pacaranga was a man called Maurice Williamson for the National Party. It was very much considered to be a safe seat, and that meant that Maurice Williamson never saw his coming. He had become complacent. Whether by neglect or by some nefarious design, he had, with his policies, angered the Kraken. If something wasn't done, this deadly sea monster would arise from the ocean floor and attack the people of Pakaranga, Their homes, their families, their pets. And Maurice Williamson, well, he was just going to let it happen. <laughs> I told them as much. Ranting at the, at the confused shoppers of Pakaranga car park at the top of my lungs. Who, people of Pakaranga, will save you? Who but the McGillicuddy serious party can defend you when the kraken comes for you? On cue, the giant squid burst from the bushes on the other side of the road, (laughs) held aloft by ten strong McGillicuddies, one for each tentacle and two for the body. Stay back, I told the people of Pakaranga shopping mall. As the, as the squid swept into the car park, knocking over trolleys, tapping on windows, generally running amok. It was time to unleash my secret weapon. The whole time that I'd been standing there ranting like a doomsday prophet, uh, Greg and Alistair had been standing next to me, covered in a cloth to conceal their costume. I whipped off the cloth to reveal the Kraken's deadliest enemy the McGillicuddy Sirius Triceratops. (laughs) This was basically a a pantomime horse with a long tail at the back and a a dinosaur mask with three deadly spikes at the front. The stegosaurus charged, skewering one of the tentacles, leaving the operator lying on the floor, kicking her her legs in the air. The, The kraken tried to retaliate with a deadly group tickle attack but the, the valiant Triceratops resisted. One by one, the tentacles fell to its onslaught until only the body was left and the Kraken tried to flee. The Triceratops poured the ground and then charged. In a moment, it was over. The Kraken lay dying. The Triceratops stood victorious above it. The people of Pakaranga burst into a veritable smattering of applause. (laughs) That was not the end of my electoral campaign. But as the people of Pakaranga went back about their business, safe in the knowledge that they would not be eaten by a terrifying sea monster that day, that was the moment when the camera picked up somebody else in the background and drifted away.
0: We are assured that no registered voters were eaten by terrifying sea monsters during this story. This is Daniel's second time telling on our stage, and we were glad to hear another perspective from him. In fact, we're always glad to hear your true first-person stories from any of you. Just get yourself down to one of our free workshops to experience them for yourself. All the essential info you need can be found at hongkongstories.com. And now, with a story from 2017 about finding peace in chaos, here is Edward.
2: I love getting up before the crack of dawn, when the air is cool and crisp, when all is calm and quiet, before the chaos and cacophony of the day inevitably rush in. I am cloaked in the wondrous mystery of the still dark sky, cocooned in the pregnant possibility of a new morning, and I will write. On most days, I will just rant and vent on the pages of my journal, but on some rare occasions, a character will walk onto my page, a scene will begin, and I, I will have a story. I will get into this zone and feel what my idol TV writer and media mogul Shonda Rhimes, described as the hum, the hum of life flowing through me, and it's magic. I love this. I live for this. The calm and quiet, the cloak and cocoon, the mystery and the possibility of stories, the zone, the hum, the magic. When I first moved to Hong Kong though, about a year ago, I was sharing an apartment with my partner, Jake. You met him. <laughs> It was a small, one-bedroom, typical Hong Kong-style. Um, and I was quickly losing this zone, this home, this magic. Um, we w- I would like hunch over my co- uh, coffee table and try to write, and Jake would get up and get ready for work, and he would squeeze past me on his way to the kitchen. Don't mind me, Ed. I'm just making coffee. Quietly? Yes, dear. You're making coffee quietly. In your boxers. What? I can't help that I woke up like this. (laughs) I couldn't help either. That He's looking so darn cute with that ruffled mop of hair and smile and that. Tantalizing, distracting, rippling muscles. That guy. <laughs> so I checked out the. <laughs> so I checked out the coffee shops nearby. You know, <laughs> and uh, I would order uh, iced coffee, please. But then there would be no good mornings, no hellos, definitely no smiles. Just the barista with the resting bitch face, (laughs) grunting out and, "Mm mm-hmm. But what really got to me was the pop music pulsating so loudly in the background that early in the morning, instructing me to shake it off, shake it (laughs) off. (laughs) No, Tay-Tay, no amount of shading enough would get me to my calm and quiet, my cloak and my cocoon. Finally, <laughs> I, got, I found myself this spot. Uh, it's, it's a small park on Hollywood Road. It's a five-minute walk from the apartment. Right in the middle of this park is this Chinese pagoda hut, and under that green pavilion hut roof is a small, round Chinese checkers table made out of granite with four stools. The park is mostly frequented by old folks on their morning strolls accompanied by their very, very bored Filipina chaperones. But that early in the morning it was very quiet and I had the whole place to myself usually and it's perfect. I one one morning I was dashing out of the apartment building trying to get to this spot, to my spot, eager to write. I had dreamt the solution of a problem that I was working on, and I didn't want it to slip away. As I approached the pagoda hut, I noticed that there was somebody already in there. An old Chinese man, 70 years old or so, balding. He had not one, but two electric fans blowing on him. (laughs) I recognized him. He usually does his Tai Chi by the gate. So, why isn't he there? Never mind that this was a communal table in a public park, but doesn't he know that he's in my spot, sitting on my chair and table? Unbelievable, unacceptable. He even smiled at me. <laughs> I quickly banged my back down the table as though announcing to him Don't bother me, old man. He took the hint and looked away. I immediately sat down and closed my eyes to begin my daily ritual of meditation and prayer. Dear universe, thank you for all your blessings and thank you for guiding my work. (laughs) I opened one eye. Chinese grandpa was less than a foot away, slurping his hot tea. I closed my eyes again, trying to block him out. Dear universe... I know I am annoyed right now, and I surrender my annoyance to you. <laughs> but please, stop the rain so Chinese grandpa over here can leave. Then I heard the distinct crackling of a plastic bag being open, and a metal container being opened too. Chinese grandpa was lining the table with newspapers and taking out his breakfast of congee and preserved vegetables to eat. Oh, hell to the (laughs) nail. I contemplated moving, but the rest of the park was unsheltered. So I quickly took out my journal book and claimed whatever space that was available on the table that wasn't already taken up by that newspaper and tea, congee and preserve vegetables, and his two damn fans whirr, whirr, whirring on in front of him. (sighs) I managed to write, and I was two pages in. Not too bad, considering everything. When Chinese grandpa over here decided to interrupt me. They say, yeah. huh? thinking that if I told him I didn't speak Cantonese, which was true, that he would just leave me the fuck alone. But he proceeded to ask me the same question in Mandarin, and in English, <laughs> what are you writing? Uh? just journaling. Oh, ideas for book? Kinda, but mostly for films. Films! I like films. Whoa! <laughs> then he proceeded to list all the titles of his favorite films that he used to watch with his children. The children and grandchildren he never saw anymore because they had moved far, far away. Great, just my luck. Making small talk with a lonely old man was definitely not part of my morning ritual. I could feel my calm and quiet cloak and cocoon unraveling, dissipating. But I closed my journal book. For the next 30 minutes or so, listen to him. He told me that he used to work 14, 15-hour days, sometimes through the weekend. This was during the glorious heydays of Hong Kong before he retired. There were mouths to feed, money to be made, and he didn't get to see much of his family. And he regretted it now. This was an all-too-familiar tale of nostalgia. But in a roundabout way, I caught a glimpse of what he was like as a young man and What the city was like then. The rain stopped and he left. I continued riding and got what I needed for that day. But soon after, I found another riding spot. I would never go to this park again. I would never see Grandpa, but he stayed with me. It was only several months later that I realized the significance of our encounter. I had considered... Writing as a solitary battle, hiding under that cloak and cocoon to fortify myself against that grandpa in the park, the barista in the coffee shop, my boyfriend at home, <laughs> thinking that they're all noise, distracting and interrupting me, preventing me from claiming all the things I could claim as mine, my table, my spot, my stories, but Chinese grandpa with the two electric fans had a story too, so do to the people around me and if I didn't open myself up to them, all of them the calm and quiet for sure, but the chaos and cacophony too, there would be no mystery, no possibility, no story for me to write, then there would be no zone no hum, no magic So, the next time in the morning when I would try to write and Jake would strut past me, (laughs) I'd be like, come here, baby. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to
1: tell.